And in your finding a seat, why don't you grab a Bible, please? And we are going to be in Romans chapter 15 this morning. We have been in about an 18-week series on uh, who is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, we, we as a leadership decided that we need to address uh, this very topic, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the things that I have noticed uh, in my own personal walk and as, as a church is that um, the third person of the Trinity is kind of treated as a stepchild. Not really a part. We, we don't know how to interact with this. Is he really God? Is he not God? Is he just kind of this power and force? You know, may the force be with you kind of thing. Or... Who is the Holy Spirit? And as we discover who the Holy Spirit is, and we have a personal relationship because it is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person, we discover power, the power of the Holy Spirit. We discover the leading of the Holy Spirit. We discover what is the work in our lives and in our church. And so this morning, we are specifically going to be looking at the Holy Spirit And the work of sanctification. It's a big theological word that is critical, although uh, grossly underused and and probably not understood. But sanctification is a critical part to our lives as Christians. And so this morning we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 14. If uh, you grabbed one of the, the Bibles that we provided, it's page on page 949 to 950. So follow along with me, and our proper response after I read the Word of God is, thanks be to God. So here we go. Verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have not been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. So this word, sanctification... The sanctification in our day and age is really kind of an, an irrelevant word, um, but it is not an irrelevant reality. 
If we name Christ as our Lord and Savior, we follow closely after him. We live in a culture where that word is, seems to be irrelevant. But for us as Christians, the word sanctification is a relevant reality that we have got to come to understand. It is one of those words that as we learn about it, as we enjoy it, as we see the relationship between God as Father and Jesus Christ and the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, it starts to jump off the page and take on whole new meaning in our life. We've got to come to understand that it's kind of like there are technical words, technical Uh, even medical terms out there that we as just common people go, what in the world does that mean? You sit into, you know, if you'd ever go to a doctor's convention and you'd listen into their conversations, you'd go, what in the Sam Hill are you talking about? That means absolutely nothing. So it may sound like an irrelevant term, but in reality, these terms carry deep and personal Important meaning. For example, I love Laura Reddig, a member of our church. If you ever watch her Facebook updates, oh, part of you gets embarrassed by some of the stuff that she talks about. You know, just this uh, couple days ago, she talked about how she had to take care of a perirectal uh, abscess. I made the mistake of looking it up. I wish it was still irrelevant for me because it's one of these, oh, I should have put together peri and rectal and abscess and go, oh, it's a very... But for that person, it was a very important term, right? Maybe because it, it delivered pain and, and there's much to do about it. it. And now I'm trying to compare uh, peri-rectal and sanctification. They're two totally different things. But sanctification is not an irrelevant word to us. It carries very deep and personal meaning for us. So for us, we must... I don't think that we have to try to invent new words for these old realities. I think it would just take us way too long. And by the time we get the new words and God established... With these words, people go, what does that mean? Uh, It's just another church word. So what we need to do this morning, I think we should dig into the minds of the biblical authors until we see the reality that they were talking about. And figure out what does it mean for us to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And whether we use the word or not, we should make sure that the reality behind the word of sanctification comes to life in our world. As irrelevant as the word sanctification may be where you work or in your neighborhoods, the reality is crucial, it's very contemporary, and it's very relevant. Let's say, suppose that you concealed certain private sources of of income while you were filling out your tax returns. And then you come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you begin to start telling the truth. That is sanctification. Let's say that you've always been on your husband or wife's case, and you've been nagging and pushing and nagging and pushing and nagging and pushing. 
And then the word of God pricks your heart and your conscience and you begin to preach less at your spouse and look for ways to show love and respect. That is sanctification. Let's suppose that you are sleeping with your girlfriend and you might move into his or her home. And you meet Jesus Christ and you get the courage to move out. That is sanctification. And there are all kinds of living images of sanctification in the world today that are just real and more authentic than we can even imagine. There's a, a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Mudridge, and uh, in, the, in the 70s, he wrote about a woman. And uh, this woman, everybody knows of her. Her name is Mother Teresa. He wrote in uh, an article about her, and he said this as an example of sanctification. I think a person like her comes into the world not by chance and radiates the Christian faith as its most simple, most pure, most effective level. She takes any baby that is given to her and looks after it. She brings in dying people from the street who might live for only a quarter of an hour. When they leave this life with a loving Christian face beside them, instead of one of rejection, she would say that it was well worth it. She is diametrically opposed to the spirit of this age. Abortion is a horror to her and all the attitude of mind associated with it. That is sanctification. That is a woman who has been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, taken from a place of privilege and willing to move from a place of privilege, comfort, and security into Calcutta in obedience to Jesus Christ. That is sanctification. And it is not irrelevant. So don't, don't let the irrelevance of this word in our society mislead you. The reality is immensely important for us personally and our corporate witness as a church. Sanctification is critical. So as we look at Romans 15, uh, 14 through 21, I want us to be able to answer three questions this morning. Number one, what is sanctification? Number two, why is it so important for us to understand it personally and corporately. And number three, how? How can we be sanctified? Well, if we look at the end of Romans chapter 15, verse 15, Paul says this, and I encourage you, follow along with me. He says this, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God. And he goes on um, saying, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The imagery here is just is remarkable if you get into the greek i was talking to joy about the greek you know um and 
me kind of sharing some of the Greek stuff is not my way of saying, oh, look at me. It, it's like um, if you are standing, uh, watching a football game on TV. You know, tomorrow there's a, a big game. Anybody know who plays? Yeah, the Bears and uh, the Antichrist. Uh, the gr- Green Bay. Sorry, honey. I love you. Uh, so <laughs> we, we've got these these two t- and you watch it on tv and you got this little commentary going on and it, it's a lot of fun and maybe if you have a big screen it's like oh wow that's that's really great it's like i'm almost there but when you look at the greek it is like you are on the sidelines with the players and you can smell the grass and you can see and you can feel and you're right there well in here, the imagery is remarkable and it's forceful because the word translated a minister is the same root from which we, we pull out liturgy. And some of you from a more uh, high church background go, oh, liturgy, I, I ran to escape that. It's kind of this rote kind of thing. You say this, I say this, we say this, I bow, I kneel, I come forward, I do all these kind of things. Well, that's not really what the... the what is going on here it's it's significant because this word liturgy paul uses that word minister liturgion to describe himself and the work that he does he could have chosen doulos which he has done quite frequently and doulos in the greek means a servant so he, he could have described himself as a servant of jesus christ but he didn't he could have used diakonos which means again a servant or a minister, but he chose liturgion to show how his missionary work was like that of a priest offering something sacred to God. His work as a priest, as a pastor, as a missionary, is taking taking this life of this young man and saying, I'm offering it as a sacred act of worship to you, God. So he's doing this ministerial kind of work. And if we focus on this this one fact, that sanctification is the goal of Paul's missionary labor, it will change a lot of us. He pictures himself as a priest doing priestly things. His, His ministry as a priest is to preach the gospel. And the offerings he brings to God as as a priest are the Gentiles. Which I think speaks to us as Gentiles. And the Gentiles are acceptable because they are sanctified. Paul is not merely aiming for converts. His his track record or his... his, uh, his sheet for what is success is not just baptisms and conversions. So many of our churches, they, they like to boast and just say, oh my gosh, this week we had 500 baptisms, or we've had so many of these and so many of these. And Paul goes, you, well, you know what is success to me? To offer these people as holy people that are sanctified to God. Don't get me wrong conversion and baptism is important stuff but paul says listen my ministerial duty my priestly duty is to offer the gentiles in an act of worship as sanctified before god so sanctified 
if we look at it, there's two words there. To be made holy. Made holy. God himself said, be holy as I am holy. Be holy. And Paul's, Paul's work is to take Bob Chapel and say, say, I'm presenting to God somebody who is made holy, who is more in the image of Jesus Christ now than he was ever before. Every, every person is an act of worship, and God's saying, saying, oh, here's another one who is made holy. Ah, here's another one made holy. Ah, here's another one made holy. Sanctification is the process the lifelong process of being made holy, of putting to death in our life certain aspects that are opposed to God's way. We talked about yesterday at our leadership community that discipleship is a lifelong process of sanctification, a lifelong process. So in this church, we have everybody who, has just, who is discovering for the first time, or maybe over they're reinvestigating who Jesus Christ is, and they're really young in their faith, and we want to celebrate that. Praise be to God. At the same time, we have the whole spectrum for some people who their whole entire life has loved and grown to appreciate and adore and worship God with their whole life. It's this whole spectrum, lifelong process of becoming holy. You never arrive. Never. You never arrive until the day you meet Jesus Christ face to face. That's something we anticipate. But here, we are sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as we see that the aim of Paul's missionary journey is a labor in sanctification. We can get a very clear idea of which, by reading verse 18, which describes the aim of his life. Look at, look at verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed. To obedience so what is the aim of paul's missionary labor in this verse or what is it that christ's aim is to achieve through paul's missionary labor his aim is to win obedience from the gentiles obedience since paul's missionary ministry in verse 16 is to present the gentiles to god who are sanctified verse 18 is Christ's aim in Paul's missionary ministry is obedience. Therefore, sanctification means obedience to Christ in our whole life. Again, yesterday, we talked about how discipleship, following after Jesus Christ, is this lifelong process. And there, it encompasses every area of your life. There is not one area that is, is not excused from your Christian life that is called to holiness, to be sanctified. Our words, our thoughts, our deeds, 
how we interact with people in our workplace, how you interact with your spouse, how you interact with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, how you do your schoolwork, how you deal with your finances, your, your sexuality. All those things, God is saying, I want that to be made holy and beautiful. And that is your act of worship. There is not one area that God says, oh, don't worry about that. That's, that, that. that's a secular area. Every area, I am calling you into obedience. Full obedience. We even see that in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey me. Obey everything that I have taught you. So conversion, baptism, obedience. Our life is called to be a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. And that is sanctification. Obedience. To be made holy. So why is, why is sanctification so critical? Why is it so important for us? Well, first, I think that we, starting with me, have got to kind of do a shift in my mindset. One of the books that we read in our elder development process is uh, a book by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. And this book is John Piper's kind of uh, book on missiology. And, and our place for uh, how, how does missions work. And in that book, he is constantly saying that the church has been kind of lulled into this peacetime mentality where everything's okay. If it's not affecting me, it's okay. But he is calling the church to have a wartime mentality. He's not saying come out with you know your battle axes and beat, beat the tar out of people, but he's saying come with it, change your mind about what is going on. Scripture says that it, it's, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against what? It's a spiritual warfare. So sanctification, we, we have got to kind of move in our mind to say there is a war, we have to have a wartime mentality because Satan loves to lull us to sleep. He loves to say, you know what? Don't worry about that. Jesus really is not concerned about that area in your life. He's more, Jesus is far more uh, concerned about your attendance at church. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be faithful to church every Sunday. And you see how that kind of takes on a, a mentality of legalism? And Jesus says, Don't listen to, this, to Satan. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And you know what he wants? He's like a roaring lion out to devour you. And what is he going to first do? He's going to lull you to sleep. He's going to put you to sleep. He's going to make your heart callous 
And he's going to say, you know what, don't worry about sexuality. It, it's really a non-issue. Culture says this is okay and that's okay. But you know what, don't worry about that. Your finances, you know what, let's not worry about that. Credit card debt, not a big deal. We all do it. We all have it. You know what, cheating on an exam, a test, or not quite telling the full truth, not a big deal. It's a little white lie or a little this kind of lie, a little gray lie. You know, it's not a, a big deal. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Your whole life is, I, I want you to be holy in all of your life. Be holy as I am holy. Because when you, when you are enjoying me and you des- your desires of your heart are the desires of my heart, your heart becomes fond and you find true joy. You find true life. You experience the richest, richness of the kingdom of God. Oh, it's not going to be easy by any means. But there you will find the richest affair. Sanctification is critical because that is where we find true joy. Not happiness. Joy. They're not the same. Happiness is, well, this trips my trigger. Joy is found deeper. It's far more deeply rooted in Jesus Christ and His work that He has accomplished on the cross. That is where joy is found. That is why the the martyrs were willingly staked to cross, covered in tar and pitch, and lit, and singing songs of praises, because their joy was found where? In Jesus Christ and the work that he has already accomplished. That is why people can can leave the comfort of their, their homes in Glenwood and travel all the way to Joss, Nigeria, And find joy in poverty and destitution. And minister in the brothels where children run naked and women are being abused. Sanctification is critical to us. It is critical for our growth, our witness. Sanctification ultimately then is the obeying, the obedience to our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a wartime word where we are constantly putting to death ourselves, our wants, our desires, and saying, I love Jesus Christ and His work in my life, and I will do whatever it takes to follow the one who has bought me with a price. I love Him. It's about obedience. And a sanctified person has an unswerving commitment to Jesus Christ's cause. And if we have wartime mentality and we walk out these doors, because it's really easy to be holy here, right? Because, you know, these are the people of God. You know, and you kind of put on your Christian face, your facade, and you kind of walk around and everything's really fine, hunky-dory, Oh, I'm following Jesus. Oh, things are really great. Praise God. But then you walk out here and we take on a wartime mentality and say, the second that I walk out these doors from the people of God, Satan is going, oh, welcome back. Let me tell you another lie. And you say, no, I am holding unswervingly to the cause of Jesus Christ, the one who has bought me with a price. Get behind me, Satan, for you're nothing but a liar. 
So the work is critical. And we have uncompromising loyalty to the commander as well as to our fellow comrades. Sanctification is not just about me. If it was, Paul would have never gone on his missionary journeys. Paul was committed to bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. And this man traveled, and he traveled, and he traveled, and it was not luxurious. And in his travels, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked. And he said, so my personal salvation and my sanctification, it's not just about me, but I need to bring this to the Gentiles and present them as well. So I wonder, how does that work out for you, for me? Are you concerned as much about somebody else's sanctification as you are for yourself? Seriously. Would you much rather have just your own little personal Jesus time and read scripture and just kind of just enjoy, have this warm fellowship with you and Jesus? Or does that move you to say, man, I am concerned about Bob Chapel. I love this guy as a brother or sister and brother in Christ. And, and I, you know, I'm concerned about his sanctification and present, doing my priestly duty of presenting him to God as, as a holy offering. Could you imagine what would happen in the church if we all took that mentality of I am concerned as much about my personal sanctification, my personal growth, my personal holiness as I am about yours? It changes everything. It turns the focus off of me and onto others. And say, I love you so much that I'm willing to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you and call you into community and call you into community again and again and again because I want to see you presented before God as a holy act of worship. That's beautiful. That resembles Jesus Christ. So how does this sanctification come about? And if you know me, I am not about giving you three points and say, go home and do these three things. So if you're looking for that this morning, sorry. But let me tell you what Romans 15 says. If we go back, we see about how sanctification comes about. Let's start at at 15 again. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. Sanctification starts not with me. It starts with God. And Paul recognizes this. So I want you to imagine a triangle. And at the top of the triangle is the grace of God. And this grace of God is pouring out onto Paul. And if you know anything about Paul's conversion experience, he, he was a hater of the church. He was out to persecute the church. He was out to kill the Christians. He was out, he was, it talked about his seething hatred for the church. And there on the Damascus Road, the skies opened up and God said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he was blinded and he had this amazing transformational um, moment 
where Jesus got a hold of his heart and the reality of Jesus Christ took him captive in such a way that in our, our world, it would be like, Jesus Christ ruined me. Paul was on the fast track to being the number one most noted guy in the Jewish tradition. He was a learned rabbi. He was at the top of his game. In the Christian world, it's turned upside down. Jesus grabs your heart and moves you in another direction. Paul is just radically revolutionized. His life is changed. And what does he do because of the grace of God has been poured out on him? He becomes an ambassador of Christ, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul takes the gospel because the grace of God has been poured out. He takes the gospel and he goes to the Gentiles. Put yourself on that part of the triangle. Grace of God poured out on Paul. How has the grace of God affected you? Cricket? Cricket chirping? Has the grace of God revolutionized your life? where it turns everything upside down. The values of this world, you see right through them and go, ah, they're nothing but a lie. Or they're cheap replications of what is truly life. Because for Paul, when the grace of God was poured out, he left everything behind. In fact, he said, uh, I count everything as loss, as rubbish junk but to have Christ I count everything my job my relationships my finances my sexuality my this my that everything I count those all at loss if I could only attain Christ because the grace poured out to me is rich and irresistible and it transforms everything for paul if we travel along the bottom of a triangle this triangle the grace of god poured out impacts paul revolutionizes his wife life it turns him upside down and what does he do his his response is i've got to take this good news i've got to take this good news to the nations i am going to travel the world i'm going to leave everything behind and share the good news i don't care if you're going to beat me i don't care if you're going to stone me i don't care if you're going to lash me i don't care i've got to share this good news and for paul his specific area of sharing the good news was to the gentiles praise be to god because we're gentiles We are those people. And Paul was committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, no matter what the cost. But the goal of his preaching 
The goal of Paul's preaching is sanctification, the obedience of the Gentiles to Christ. But I'll tell you, if we're not careful, that keeps it on a man-centered theology, a man-centered understanding of salvation, where all I have to do, man, he's got some persuasive words, it feels really nice, and it sounds like a good thing to do. Man, all we have to do to have a successful church is have a, a really good band and we have to have a really good pastor who is really slick and he's dressed really nice and he's kind of hip. You know, there's this new thing out there about being hipster Christianity, whatever that is. You know, all, all we have to have is these kind of things, all these kind of men and these kind of women and these kind of programs. If, if, if we don't look carefully, we miss it. Verse 16 says that a person is sanctified, made holy by the Holy Spirit. Not just by the preaching of the gospel, but it is the Holy Spirit's work. So to close off the triangle, the grace of God is poured out to the Apostle Paul and he has got to respond in a way that shares the good news of Jesus Christ to the, to the Gentiles. And at the same time, the power of the Holy Spirit is coming down and impacting the Gentiles in power. So as the gospel is being preached, the Holy Spirit is poured out. People are made into the image of God. And they're being transformed. They're being sanctified. They're being made holy. And like Paul, as they recognize the grace of God being poured out, they're moved towards obedience and preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel. So how does sanctification come about? It's by you regularly hearing the gospel. Regularly applying the gospel. Can I challenge you to turn to... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 961, if it's a Bible borrowed from me, from the church. <laughs> 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. You hear the past tense? Which you received at the time of your conversion and you're accepting the grace of God poured out on you, in which you stand today and by which you are being saved. Sanctification is a lifelong process of our lives coming into conformity with the words of Christ. And it requires us having sensitive ears and sensitive eyes to our own personal lives. C.S. Lewis says that we've got to become uh, personally aware of our own cesspool. Where you go, hmm, I'm the only person in the room. I think it's me. Personally aware of our sin and how it is not honoring to God. 
it starts with me, but it moves to others. You see, a day, church, my, my hope and prayer is that as we come to love God as Father, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit, the three in one, that we are so radically changed as we're conformed into the likeness of Christ, as we become to look more and more like Jesus Christ because of what he's done for us, that as our lives are changed, we move to a world. I love hearing about Sadie. She's what, five? Sharing with a friend about Jesus Christ. That's it. There's something stirring in that five-year-old's heart that she has to tell someone about Jesus Christ. I could share all the statistics about how many people in this room have ever shared the gospel with somebody else. It's a shame. Are we, are we compelled by the grace of God that's been poured out to move in obedience in such a way that others hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. Lastly, and I'm going to use this again as our benediction. This is Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, page 988, starting at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you let me wait till you all get there, because this is good. Galatians, Ephesians, go eat popcorn. First Thessalonians 5, verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you, how? Completely. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this. This is, this is the hope where we can be thankful. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's not about you doing the lists and tasks. It's you submitting your life and saying, change me, all of me. My mind, my heart, my soul, my habits, my preferences, all those things, God have it. Let me be conformed because I know that you're going to be faithful and you will do it in me. I'm a willing offering to be offered to you. All God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that your word is true. God, I am so thankful for this process of sanctification, which happens when the gospel is preached. 
when the Spirit of God is poured out and it just meets with power our feeble, weak human hearts. God, I pray that as your Spirit and your grace is poured out on this family, this church, Lord, that it moves us much like the Apostle Paul, to, to feel the, the need and the urge to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, to our neighbor next door, to our friends and our family. God, that it moves us to, in such a way that it, it frees us to live the life that we are intended to live, following after you in obedience to your words. And Jesus, that that will transform our minds and our hearts, our souls, our our worldview, our workplaces, our marriages, our relationships, our schools that we're at. And God, that your name and your renown is exalted. That we magnify you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But Jesus, as we as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we know that even this week and even this morning that we are in need of being made holy. That there are times that we have so forsaken you and we've turned our hearts, turned our lives and followed our wants and our needs and Our words have been sharp. We've maligned people, brothers and sisters in Christ even. We have hoarded our finances. We've been selfish with our time. We've been ashamed of the gospel. not responded to your promptings in our lives and so for that Jesus we confess and we repent and we turn from the ways of this world to your kingdom Lord I just pray that in the next few moments, Lord, that you, your spirit works in and through each of us. But that we are also reminded as we participate in the Lord's Supper that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions. We've also been reminded in First in John that if you will be faithful to forgive us for our sins if we, if we confess and we repent. So God, would you hear our prayers? Would you hear our confessions? And God, would you take the, the penitent sinner and would you move us from repentance to worship? knowing that you have forgiven us. 
that you have made a way through your Son, Jesus Christ. Minister to us, we pray. Amen. We are going to be celebrating communion. On the sides will be our communion servers. And uh, this is a meal reserved for those who uh, have confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those who have confessed their sins, believing that He's faithful and just to remove them. If that is... if you identify yourself with Christ and His death and His resurrection, you're invited to come celebrate. If you have not yet done that, I want to encourage you, just sit back. It's not weird. But this is a a meal specifically for the family, for those who have identified with Christ. The communion servers will stay up here as long as we need through worship. So prepare your hearts. Prepare your minds. I'll be available in the back. Nathan will be available in the back. Katie will be available in the back if you need somebody to pray with you, to anoint you with oil and pray over you. So prepare your hearts. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you and in the same way he took the cup of blessing and he poured it out and said this is my blood which is poured out for you so that you can have life life abundantly those who are serving please come forward